Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran Programs comprise their in-the-line-of-duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. A new report compiled by the NYPD proves that New York State's bail reform laws are emboldening career criminals. A small group of just 10 career criminals were allowed to wreak havoc across the Big Apple and rack up nearly 500 arrests after the state enacted its controversial bail reform law. Most of them still out on the streets, folks. I'll bring you these stunning revelations by the numbers and Mayor Eric Adams' reaction to it all in tonight's Hold the Line. They say the difference, definition of insanity is to do the same thing repeatedly, but expect different results. Our criminal justice system is insane. <laughs> it's quite, quite a line. Welcome to Hold On, I'm Buck Sexton. He's right. Notice he's a Democrat. He's 
left wing on a lot of things. I disagree with Mary Adams on a whole range of stuff that he said. But when he says something that's true, I say, that's right, that's true. And the criminal justice system in New York City, as it currently is constituted, is nuts. Okay? It's not helping people, not keeping people safe. It is coddling criminals. That is the reality of it. Okay? And by the numbers, you can just see it has gotten so much worse in just the last two or three years. And you can trace it directly to the rise of progressive prosecutors in places like New York and the bail reform law, the BLM movement, the defund police rhetoric, a disaster for the Big Apple. This is the, po- uh, the New York Post cover. 10 people, 945 days, 485 crimes, and most of them are still free. 10 people committing almost 500 crimes? in the city of New York that they were arrested for? And, and they're just still running around committing crimes all the time? How, how can anyone think we have a serious criminal justice system here? And we're not talking about somebody who, you know, stole a candy bar and is serving 10 years upstate or something. I mean, this is crazy. That doesn't happen. In fact, we've got people robbing people, assaulting people, attacking people, and they're out on the streets like it's no big deal. You don't have to take my word for it. This is the reality, folks. The Democrats, of course, were, oh, but it's about social justice and ending racism, and it's all nonsense. All right, they're actually hurting minority communities. They're hurting the law-abiding, which is the you know, 95, 99% of people in even high-crime neighborhoods that are disproportionately minority. They're, they're abandoning them in favor of the small group of people who are actually criminals. Unbelievable. Here's Mayor Adams breaking down the stats about NYPD arrests. Check this out. Let's look at the real numbers. In 2022, 25% of the 1,494 people arrested for burglary committed another felony within 60 days. Within 60 days. That's 393 people who did the same. In 2017, however, just 7.7% went on to commit another crime. 2,386 people were arrested with a gun. Of those, approximately 1,921 are out on the street. Arrested with a gun, out on the street. I mean, notice how the libs love to give these lectures about how we need stricter gun control laws. But then in cities where there are people being arrested for illegal gun possession all the time, but because the left gets upset because the individuals who are getting arrested for those firearm offenses in New York, for example, are 90% racial minorities. That's just the statistics. That's just the reality. So then they want the criminal justice system to not punish the violations, clear violations of the gun laws that they demand. This is what we're actually dealing with here. And what makes it even worse is that individuals who break the law continue to break the law over and over again. More victims, more crimes, more victims, more crimes. How is the justice system allowing this to happen? How could anyone think that this is sane? Of course, it's not. It is insane. Here is NYPD Commissioner Keechan Sewell talking about this issue of recidivism, repeat offenders, and how it's gotten so bad in New York. Watch. Recidivist criminals are planning or taking the opportunity to commit their next larceny, robbery, burglary, or other crime. Their efforts are increasingly aided by the fact that after the NYPD has arrested them, 
the criminal justice system fails to hold them appropriately accountable for their actions. These offenders face very few, if any, repercussions, despite committing crime after crime. And the number of victims continues to go up. She's saying the right things. Mayor Eric Adams saying the right things. Maybe New York City is waking up. Maybe all the BLM activists and all the, all the defund the police and the Antifa lunatics and all these people that were undermining our criminal justice system, pretending that it was all racist, it was all unfair, it wasn't keeping us safe, it was making everything worse. Maybe they will shut up and be removed from the conversation so that we can actually have the adults understand that this has all gone in the wrong direction that the criminals are running free, they are terrorizing their communities, and it's time to lock up people who keep breaking the law, okay? We can do this. We can determine that, sure, a minor offense, a first offense, people, you know, the justice system should and does take that into account. If you've been arrested 50 times, you need to spend a lot of time in prison, okay? You need to be taken out of society for a while. You've been arrested 20 times, 10 times, five times, you know? But there are people, I mean, they talked about this in the briefing, 100 arrests. They're not arresting people anyway, but you can defecate and urinate in the streets in New York. You're not getting arrested for traffic violations or sleeping in the streets or whatever. They're getting arrested for stealing stuff or hurting people. Those are basically, or drugs. Those are the things that people are being arrested for. And serious drugs, not marijuana, you know, drug dealing, fentanyl, things that kill people, heroin. Oh, it's remarkable that this was even something we had to go through again, but it is. Meanwhile, the Manhattan DA, Soros-backed progressive prosecutor, the worst, he pushes back on this. He says, there's always more work to be done. Yeah, thanks, genius. I'm proud of what we're doing at the Manhattan DA's office. We're working every day to improve our imperfect system. Yeah, you don't say. Gosh, really, the people of New York need to vote for Lee Zeldin just so he can fire this abject buffoon brag from the DA's office on day one, fire him. Don't even ask for his, fire him. Say he is terminated. He is gone from that job. That is what needs to happen. And for those who say, oh, the crime problem isn't that bad. It's not real. You know, the libs, that's the other thing. They say it's not their fault, but then they'll also say, but there isn't even a crime problem. Well, here's their favorite FBI director since James Comey, Christopher Wray, saying, yeah, there is a real violent crime problem now. Watch. You know, I speak with chiefs and sheriffs all the time. In fact, just about every week, sometimes more. And the number one concern I hear from them by far is rising violence in their communities, whether it's gangs terrorizing a neighborhood, well-known trigger pullers who keep finding their way back out onto the streets, robbery crews graduating from carjackings to aggravated assaults, and worse, the violent crime problem is real, and it's one we are firmly determined to combat. Problem is real. You know how you combat it? Locking up criminals. We'll have more on this with retired NYPD officer John Cardillo coming up. First, let's talk about a potential opportunity. A lot of you are worried about the reported food shortages and power outages, and look, you're not alone. Skyrocketing costs of energy, the stock market could go bad, the housing market, who knows, right? So people are thinking, maybe I should go off-grid. If you think about it going off-grid, you might be thinking about a cabin near the Arctic or something, right? Way, way away from civilization. But there's a much better, safe option for you. For going totally off-grid, in Panama, that's right, in Central America, a modern home starts at only $100,000. These homes are fully set up on a self-sustaining farm with all of your needs met right on property. Panama offers a stable government, cost-effective, high-quality medical care, and a fantastic climate. There are only 24 homes being offered in the community, so reach out to them quickly at offgridpanama.com or call them now at 904-236-4737. 
Once again, that's offgridpanama.com or 904-236-4737. Be patient and leave a message. We think this is going to sell out quickly. They'll call everybody back within 24 hours. John Cardillo joins us when we come back. During his press conference on New York's, quote, insane, that's what he called it, criminal justice system yesterday, Mayor Eric Adams used the example from just last week, a teenager, you see on camera here, beating a New York City police officer in a subway station. This was three days after being released without bail for a robbery arrest. Will these laws actually change? Let's ask someone very familiar with fighting crime here in the Big Apple, former NYPD officer John Cardillo and conservative commentator. John, I got to say, man, uh, the speech that they gave where they laid out these numbers, it was, it was real deal. I mean, they're, they're finally, it sounds like, seeing the reality. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, how can they not? I mean, uh, Lee Zeldin, uh, a gubernatorial candidate in New York, a U.S. congressman, Somebody tries to stab him at a rally with, with cameras and police and security. We're seeing crime infiltrate areas of the city that we haven't seen an infiltrate since the late 80s, early 90s. You know, Times Square, Rudy Giuliani cleaned up Times Square. Central Park is dangerous again. I was in, uh, I hadn't been to New York City in a wild bucket. And a few weeks back, I had a flight to Europe. So I came in on a Sunday evening and I was at a hotel downtown near Wall Street. Had to walk to the drugstore to get some last minute things for the trip. And I was shocked. It reminded me of when I came out of the police academy under David Dinkins, pre-Giuliani. Homeless people, uh, drug addicts, hypodermic syringes in the doorways of buildings in what is an otherwise affluent or class A professional building area. Haven't seen this in 30 some odd years. Didn't think we'd ever see it again. And I think Adams is smart enough to realize, even if he is woke as hell, He's smart enough to realize that without law and order, you don't have commerce. And without commerce, New York City becomes Baltimore or Detroit. According to the MIPD, John, one of the worst repeat offenders that they cited in that press conference has been arrested 101 times, including 88 just since bail reform in 2020. This is amazing. Somehow, these progressive prosecutors, these social justice woke DAs, managed to either, well, they convince people as well as being convinced themselves, apparently, that people are going away for years for stealing a candy bar. In realityville, and now as we see here in New York City, you get somebody arrested a hundred times for a whole range of crimes, including felonies, feels like the criminal justice system's going a little easy on some folks. Yeah, it's non-existent, right? I mean, look, people need to understand, and it's been discussed ad nauseum, but your audience, needs to understand how dangerous the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's behavior is. So he's prosecuting, if you pull out a gun in New York City and you rob someone at gunpoint, a family with young children, as long as you don't injure anybody, that's not being prosecuted as a robbery first degree, a felony armed robbery, that's being prosecuted as a petty larceny. That means if you stick the gun in the face of a child as you rob their parents, you're being charged the same as you would if you walked into Walgreens and shoplifted a bottle of shampoo, it is beyond insanity, Buck. And all it's doing is enabling the criminals. They know that nothing is going to happen to them, and it is free reign on the victims. He is a thug coddler, Alvin Bragg, like too many other Soros-funded woke prosecutors around the country. It's astonishing, John. You know, they also they just had some statistics that I, I had heard before, and guys like you were on the job had told me this just anecdotally and say, you know, every 
every precinct captain, I mean, every uh, intel officer for, for every station house anywhere across the country, anywhere across the city will say, we basically know who the bad guys are in the precinct who are doing most of the really bad stuff. Turns out that's not just their perception. The data reflects that. New York yeah. City shooting since 2021. 716 people are responsible for 30% of the shootings and, and their, uh, their repeat. Uh, I'm sorry, it's roughly 700 some odd people are the ones responsible for 30% of the shootings and they're repeat offenders. So, I mean, you have, yeah. you have a small number of people. I mean, there's 8.5 million people in New York City, about 3 million uh, black and Hispanic residents of New York City all in. And you got less than a thousand people doing all the shootings. Like, can't we just lock up the thousand people, keep everybody else safe? And look, anecdotally, anecdotally, I'll tell you those numbers are are, are on point. You know, I said this on your shows, uh, both radio and, and your first show here, and and on air, and my shows and others. I worked. One of the things that drives me insane is all cops are racist. I worked in a ninety-nine point nine percent non-white command as a rookie, the four-six precinct up in the Bronx. But we knew who the bad guys were, and we were able to estimate that only about Four percent of the population of our command were bad guys, right? So you're going to work for the other ninety-six percent of the people right, who live there who exactly. are also non-white, right? So, so the racism narrative is just dumb. But we knew who the bad guys were, and Rudy Giuliani, and and, and I have to give credit where due. I despise every policy position on Michael Bloomberg's, except he left the NYPD alone to do what they knew how to do. We knew who the bad guys were. We knew where to direct patrol, right? Put increased uniform resources to mitigate the risk of violent crime, rape, robbery, shooting, murder. I don't know what happened. Under de Blasio, and again, now under Adams, all of those effective policing strategies have just been eradicated. And they're throwing their hands up, acting like they're shocked as to why crime is on the rise. You could solve this in about four days with the right leadership. NYPD Police Commissioner uh, Keechan Sewell also said this, John, about some of the, uh, some of the recent law uh, changes here. New York remains the only state that prevents judges from considering the threat to public safety when making custody determinations. That doesn't serve the next innocent victim. It doesn't serve our officers. It doesn't serve quality of life. We can and must do better. We always say that public safety is a shared responsibility. It cannot just be the NYPD. I think this has been interesting. Because for a while there was defund police, right? And, and the cops didn't yeah. feel like anyone had their back. And every... Now we're seeing is it's actually a lot of cops are, the arrests are up. Cops are being allowed more to do their jobs. The breakdown, and I think this is what the police commissioner is, is getting at, is actually in the other part of the criminal justice system, which is prosecutor's offices, yeah. the, uh, you know, the Bureau of Prisons. I mean, that's where you're seeing real failure. Yeah, 100%. And let me tell you, uh, Commissioner Sewell has, has a tough job. I've heard nothing but very good things about her. You know, when she was first hired, a good. lot of people said, well, yep, yep, okay, she's a black woman. She's checking the boxes. She's a woke appointment. She was the chief of detectives in Nassau County, which is the county, Long Island County, that borders New York City. I went to a, a former chief out there who's a friend of mine politically on our side of the aisle. And he said she was tremendously respected by the men and women under her command, had a great reputation nationally. I'd heard that from others. And everybody said she was, she was a, a you know, nose to the ground, hardworking investigator, came up through the ranks. And honestly, I'm seeing that in her public statements. I'm hearing from cops inside the NYPD. She's frustrated. She's not trying to hurt cops with, with silly charges for silly things. She wants to fight crime. But her hands are tied for what, uh, because of what you just said. What good is arresting people if the prosecutors won't 
prosecute them. Then all the commissioner's doing is wasting taxpayer money on overtime. But I will say, I think New York City, the New York City Police Department is in pretty good hands with Commissioner Sewell. If they would let her do her job and she did what she did in Nassau County, I think you could see a significant crime reduction. So you think, you think at least in New York, and we've always thought this, right? New York, as New York goes, so the rest of the major cities in America seem to go on law enforcement. I mean, not, not entirely, but it can be a kind of a, a momentum builder, right? I mean, it certainly was in the 90s and the Rudy Giuliani yeah. uh, and, you know, and, uh, crime policies that went into effect here and the miracle of, of the turnaround. So you, you think, are, are we at the beginning of a tipping point or too soon to know? Yeah, I think it's too soon to know, but to that point about the rest of the uh, agencies in the U.S., local and state, uh, looking at NYPD, it's true, and there's a reason it's true. There's a tangible reason. We're big. We're big. 40,000 sworn cops, billions and billions in our budget. The ability to train with different firearms and put a few hundred thousand rounds over a 2,000 men and women downrange to say, okay, these are the handguns the NYPD is using. They've been thoroughly tested. These are the policies. NYPD wrote the book on riot control, disorder control, wrote the book on special operations, wrote the book on counterterror, has detectives, you know this book, you worked in this facet with the NYPD, has detectives deployed around the world alongside global intelligence agencies. So there are very tangible reasons why agencies around the country follow the NYPD, let them do their jobs, prosecutors prosecute, because yes, if we allow that, and we have prosecutors who will prosecute the bad guys, the tipping point is here and we're gonna arc back the right way. Yeah, it turns out if somebody's committed 30 burglaries, John, if you let them out, they're probably going to commit another one. 31 is not like the magic number, it turns out. Right, but anyway, right. I know you yeah, know that. Yeah, right, right, right. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, bud. FBI Director Christopher Wray was on Capitol Hill today where he was confronted with questions about his agency's bias when it comes to investigating Hunter Biden. We'll have more on that with the deputy editor of Real Clear Investigations, Ben Weingarten, coming up. Right now, I want to talk to you about one of my new favorite companies, Sweatblock. Sweatblock's wipes are a total game changer. I mean, do you sweat a lot, like an embarrassing amount? Maybe you sweat through your shirt when it's hot outside or just because you're a bit nervous or whatever, right? Sweatblock is your answer. Sweatblock products are doctor-created and recommended to stop excessive sweating. They even have a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. And the Sweatblock wipes are practical, too. One use, for work, one use for works up to seven days. Think about that. This is a must-have product for your toiletry bag, all right? They're fantastic. So go right now and check it out. Go to sweatblock.com. Use promo code BUCK for 20% off. That's 20% off when you use promo code BUCK at sweatblock.com. Sweat less. Live more. Enjoy yourself. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. The FBI headquarters team falsely labeled Hunter Biden information as you know what disinformation. The FBI green lit a full investigation into Trump based on liberal news articles and information derived from liberal nonprofits. On the other hand, the FBI closed investigative activities and sources that provided verified or verifiable reporting on Hunter Biden. Director Ray, you'll have to explain to the committee and to the country how you manage this mess. FBI Director Christopher Ray fielding questions from Senator Chuck Grassley over claims that the Bureau dismissed evidence against Hunter Biden as disinformation, because they did. If the FBI has the power to cover up evidence in such a high-profile case, 
What else are they doing behind the scenes? Why should we trust the G-men, the feds? Joining me now to discuss Deputy Editor at Real Clear Investigations, Ben Weingarten. Ben, make sense of it all. Buck, it's a series of disturbing revelations, both from Senator Grassley as well as Congressman Jim Jordan in recent days, uh, both bringing forth these whistleblower disclosures showing different elements of the hyper-politicization and weaponization at the highest levels of the FBI and DOJ that we've been talking about for a while now. And Senator Grassley's revelations, he said essentially, if the allegations of the FBI essentially like the media and those intelligence officials claiming Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, uh, did in fact not pursue a case as a consequence of that, while at the same time, by the way, giving a so-called defensive briefing to Senators Ron Johnson and Grassley that was leaked telling them while they were investigating Hunter Biden that they might be targets of Russian disinformation as well. So protecting Hunter, discrediting the people looking into Hunter, Grassley himself wrote in a letter that the FBI and DOJ may be institutionally corrupted, systemically and existentially threatening them based upon that corruption. And Congressman Jordan, on the other hand, revealed these revelations showing that the FBI was cooking the books on the threat of so-called domestic violent extremism. The FBI uh, frequently cites the fact that there's been a doubling uh, plus of investigations into domestic violent extremism. And according to these whistleblowers who came to Jim Jordan, agents are being pressured to classify cases as DVE, domestic so wait, violent so hold extremism. On, hold on one sec, Ben, just so I can get it, because we're covering a lot here. Just you wrote a piece in Newsweek about these FBI whistleblowers. You wrote that FBI whistleblowers assert they're being pressured to reclassify investigations as domestic violent extremism when not merited and rewarding for swelling the DVE. So that's, by the way, I mean, we didn't even have that when I was back in this world, the CIA, et cetera, uh, DVE case, the domestic violence extremism, I've never seen that before. Um, but remember, then again, they tried to change the GWAT to the overseas contingency operations against violent thoughts or something. It was like really <laughs> absurd. That was in the Obama administration. So this happens. But like, what is being reclassified? I mean, just to give me a sense of this, I mean, if these whistleblowers, the FBI, what they're saying is true, what kind of stuff or how are they doing this? Well, there are a couple aspects to this. I mean, one, we know from prior whistleblowers that the FBI did, in fact, flag cases relating to, for example, parents upset at their school boards for you know, coronavirus policies or CRT, presumably, that the FBI classified those cases, probes into them with a threat tag. So presumably, we'd have to guess, and we don't know yet what the specific cases are, but agents might classify those as DVE. And the reason I think that we can make that supposition is because these threat bulletins that federal authorities have put out cite the domestic violent extremist threat as coming from those, for example, who are angry about 2020 election integrity issues, um, presumably, again, parents who were classified, who the National School Board Association wanted classified as terrorists and then were pursued by the FBI and DOJ accordingly. So essentially, wrong think likely is encompassed in this doubling in cases. And apparently, FBI agents are being not only pressured to essentially prove the theory of the case, 
that the Biden administration has put forth and its allies have put forth in the national security apparatus, that the preeminent threat comes from wrong thinkers, primarily conservatives in this country by swelling these case numbers, but that actually agents are being rewarded for it. So that that raises a whole new level of hyperpoliticization and weaponization than I think we've seen to date. And this again is on top of this application of a threat tag to critical parents of school boards. And what Congressman Jordan has said has been a purge of conservatives within the ranks of the FBI. None of these things I think would surprise anyone who's been awake to what the FBI and DOJ have been up to for the last six plus years, really going back to Trump, Russia, and even before that. FBI Director Christopher Wray put out a statement in response to these allegations, Ben. We will be scrupulous, sure, in our adherence to rules related to whistleblowers. If there are allegations of misconduct by FBI employees who want to make sure we get that information, go after that conduct. But certainly I condemn in the strongest possible terms any prospect of retaliation against whistleblowers. Okay, I think it's interesting. He's saying here, yeah, whistleblowers, man, like we protect them. But what about the allegations? Like, how about tell us is this happening or not? And when he was questioned today in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, some of these allegations were raised. And essentially, he just said, well, you know, one bad apple, it doesn't reflect the bureau. But of course, we've been talking about the highest levels of the FBI and DOJ involved in the absolute worst kind of corruption when you're talking about pursuing political figures who they obviously loathe based upon their own text messages and communications and campaign contributions and beyond. So it just totally strains credulity. And, you know, he basically got upset and put on this act of, you know, I'm going to defend our bureau against these assaults on it. But it's not about assaults on the bureau. It's about these institutions discrediting and delegitimizing themselves. And I'm sure he'll come up with some 80 point plan like he's done before when inspectors general have raised this mass of issues within the FBI. Uh, but where's the beef, essentially? And when are heads going to actually roll? And will Republicans hold their feet to the fire beyond just tersely worded letters and hearings and grandstanding to the extent they take the majority in 2022? That's a huge question that every uh, Congress candidate, Senate candidate ought to answer in these midterms. Ray seems maybe better than Comey, but that's <laughs> a shockingly low standard. Uh, what would you give him as a grade? If you were the FBI director, Christopher Ray, if you were to say this guy for his performance up to this point, what do you think? Well, I'd sort of view this like an analog to Chief Justice John Roberts on the Supreme Court. They would probably measure their performance by to what extent did they protect the power of their institutions. So if you're grading it on, did they protect their power? Did they stonewall? Did they go after those politicians who would dare to look into them uh, and undermine them? they'd probably get a pretty high grade on that mark. In terms of did they actually keep the American people safe? Were they apolitical? Were they objective? Did they treat everyone equally under the law? It's an obvious F. And that's a huge disaster regardless of your political stripe for all Americans. Ben Weingarten, bringing the flamethrower as always, my man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Buck. Hollywood's latest superhero movie has turned into a $90 million flop as Warner Brothers indefinitely shelved Batgirl after the movie was complete. It was finished. <laughs> it's amazing. Get woke, go broke, folks. We'll have more on that with the host of Counterculture, uh, Danielle D'Souza. Right now, let me tell you about my friends at Jace Medical. Does the current shortage of infant formula have you asking, well, what's next? 
You know that 100% of our nation's supply of antibiotics is produced outside the United States, mainly in China and India, right? So if we can't control our baby formula, what about life-saving medications? A lot of people are saying there could be supply chain disruptions in the pharmaceutical industry. Well, thankfully, there's a new service to help you prepare for such an event. You ever heard of the Jace case? It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics you can use to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, and skin infections. Every household needs at least one Jace case. Go to jacemedical.com buck right now and use the code word buck10 for $10 off your Jace case. That's code word buck10 for $10 off at jacemedical.com buck. Jacemedical.com buck. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. The latest DC Comics woke movie, Batgirl, may be one of the biggest disappointments in Hollywood history, as Warner Brothers has decided to shelve the picture for being, quote, irredeemable. Wow. How bad does the movie have to be for a film studio to eat a $90 million budget loss? Instead of just releasing it and seeing what happens? More on this, let me bring in the host of Counterculture with Danielle D'Souza. Danielle D'Souza. Good to see you, Danielle. Hi, Buck. Thanks for having me. So, so help us think through this one, um, because also, as you know, there's already reporting that it's a Batgirl movie with a female Latina lead with a lot of woke themes and, and all kinds of social justice undertones, etc. The Daily Mail is reporting that despite being completely finished and reportedly having cost $90 million, Batgirl will never be released in any format, not even on one of the internet streaming services that often seem willing to broadcast anything, basically. How did this happen? Well, I think that's how we know that this film was not just boring. It wasn't just a flop. It wasn't just a dud because then they would have put it on a streaming service. They would have made back some of their money. But instead, they looked at it and thought, oh, my gosh, this film is too embarrassing to literally release to have our name on it or our brand on it. And so they said, we have to just completely can this. And so I think when it comes down to it, they probably thought, you know what, we can add wokeness. We can add these extra characters. We can change you know, the race, the gender and all of this stuff. But then eventually, when it goes too far, they look at it and it just becomes painful to watch. And they probably said, you know, we can't even have people watch this. It's remarkable. I mean, what do you think is going through the minds of the execs. I mean, I, at this point, I've got to say, this could almost be a fascinating um, uh, like marketing campaign in a sense because now I actually really want to watch this or at least try to get through 10 or 15 minutes of it. I'm fascinated to see how you could spend $90 million. On it. There are plenty of movies that have lost $100 million. You can look up the biggest box office bombs of all time, you know, Ishtar, Heaven's Gate, Pluto, Nash, 13th Warrior, all these movies. Um, you know, I, I think that you have to wonder, the executives that greenlit this, are they doing that because they're worried that the woke mob will come for them if they don't? And so it's almost like this is the cost of being an executive today at Warner Brothers? Yeah, I mean, I imagine those execs, you know, sitting on armchairs and thinking, okay, this is going to be woke, this is Batgirl and all this stuff. And they probably saw it and were just completely shocked and thinking, okay, there's only so far we can take wokeness because when you push wokeness so far, eventually you obviously isolate most of the country. But then the actual woke people start canceling you as well because then they start saying, oh, well, you put this person in that position of power and all of this other stuff. And so eventually you just have nothing left. And so 
I think it ultimately came down to them saying we just have to save face because we literally can't do either of the things we're supposed to do as executives, and that's entertain people through entertainment or make money. So they thought this is not entertaining, and we also cannot make money. Speaking of entertainment, actress and singer Demi Lovato, I am not particularly familiar with her work, but uh, she has now done what a lot of us have been saying it was just a matter of time before we got to this point, Danielle, which is where people not only change their preferred pronouns, but change them back and forth. So a she becomes a he and then decides, you know what, I feel like a she and everyone's supposed to just go with this. And if you don't, you're a bigot. Here she is in a recent podcast explaining why she's now had three different pronouns in as many years. Watch. Admittedly, the they, them, I still don't quite understand. Can you please explain it to me? Yeah, so they, them is, um, I've, I've actually adopted the pronouns of she, her again. So for me, I'm such a fluid person that I don't really, I don't find that I am, I felt like, especially last year, my energy was balanced and my masculine and feminine energy. So that when I was faced with the choice of walking into a bathroom and it said women and men, I didn't feel like there was a bathroom for me. <laughs> you want to you tackle that one, Danielle? Your pronouns are she, her. So you let us know. What do you think here? Well, I imagine her standing in front of a bathroom in complete confusion, thinking, oh, my gosh, where do I go? And then this person's asking her to explain her pronouns. And she's literally struggling to even explain why she's a she, her. I mean, I think it's pretty clear why. I think she's obviously a woman and unfortunately probably in Hollywood grew up in a very you know crazy world out there that was confusing for her. And so maybe she's kind of gone through some, some difficult stuff. But honestly, that's what she's trying to impose on kids all around the country and what the left is trying to impose on, on kids out there and basically to confuse them and make them think, well, I don't really know my pronoun. I don't really know if I'm a boy or girl and all of this stuff. And usually people know exactly what that is. And so I think it's sad that these people have such large megaphones because um, a woman like her could have been a role model. And instead, she's using her platform to basically indoctrinate people. Yeah, I want to start telling people my pronouns are awesome, brilliant, and handsome. So, and that's what everyone will be forced to call me or else they're a bigot because that's how I feel today. Uh, but on to, on to something more serious in the gender identity discussion, a lot more serious. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is standing up here and saying that this stuff that's going on with what even the White House calls gender affirming care for young children, that's the phrase they use, which includes puberty blockers, it, it includes um, breast removal surgery and castration for young, uh, young males who say they want to transition. Here's Governor DeSantis speaking out on this. One of the things that they're trying to do is they talk about these very young kids getting gender-affirming care. They don't tell you what that is, is they're actually giving very young girls mis double mastectomies. They want to castrate these young boys. That's wrong. And so we've stood up and said, both from the health and children well-being perspective, you know, you don't disfigure 10, 12, 13-year-old kids uh, based on gender dysphoria. 80% of it resolves anyways by the time they get older. So why would you be doing this? I think these doctors need to get sued. He said, I think these doctors need to get sued who are doing this. What do you think, Danielle? 
I just think that DeSantis, he's such an example of how when Republicans get power, we have to actually use it because so many of these other Republicans who get power, they literally do nothing. They literally see DeSantis as this, you know, rising star. He's getting all of this national attention. And then they decide to not follow suit or do any of the things he's saying. Um, instead, they only want to talk about, you know, maybe gas prices, which is horrendous. But I think when we look at these issues, we see that this is literally the left coming for our children and coming for it in a way that's, you know, not just um, in for their own kids, but for literally everybody else's. And so um, I think when we look at this, we have to look at DeSantis and say, why aren't all the other governors doing the same thing and maybe, you know, putting out some lawsuits? Danielle, appreciate the perspective. Good to see you as always. Thank you. A group of middle school students troll their teacher when asked what their pronouns are, and apparently she's so woke she doesn't even realize it. We've got the video for you in tonight's Quick Hits. But first, I want to give you a warning to homeowners out there. You could already be the victim of home title theft and have no clue. Some cyber thief may have already forged his name onto the title to your home. Here's how you find out. My partners at Home Title Lock have a special free offer for my listeners. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and simply enter your home address for free, no obligation, Home title scan, okay? You'll get a home title scan. This is how you discover if a cyber thief is already camping out on your home's title. Look, the title to your home is the only document that proves you own it. And once he forges your title, he can take out loans or forge your name, stating he's the new owner. First things first, let's make sure your home's secure in terms of its title and in your name. You can do that by going to hometitlelock.com, use my promo code radio, then enter your address for free, no obligation, your free no obligation home title scan. That's $100 value. Again, HomeTitleLock.com, code radio. HomeTitleLock.com, code radio. We'll be right back. Monkeypox is now a national health emergency, and the WBA's Brittany Griner gets sentenced pretty harshly by a Russian court. Those stories in tonight's Quick Hits, let's get right to it. So first off here, uh, monkeypox, which we've been hearing about now in the media for weeks, has been declared a U.S. health emergency. Um, so, health emergency. Now, monkeypox only spreads through close and uh, very close contact. It's not aerosolized virus. And it so far has been uh, overwhelmingly found in uh, the community within the LGBTQ IA plus community of men who have sex with other men, and uh, particularly if there is a high number of partners. That is the great, those are risk factors. It doesn't mean there's not, this is not about moral judgment, despite what the libs may say. This is about the risk factors for a virus, for a disease. Now, what's very interesting to see is that the CDC, and there are reports on this, including the New York Times, is having a real internal debate over whether they should even encourage people to have fewer sex partners as part of the effort to slow down the spread of monkeypox, which can be very painful and can actually, uh, can be fatal for some people. It's about a 5%, they estimate, fatality rate. So unlikely, but it can be. And the CDC is terrified, it seems, not just of, well, put aside their, their concerns about monkeypox, they're afraid of being um, insensitive. And so they don't want to actually even tell people, limit your sexual partners, um, don't go to orgies. That's also an, an important um, public health item right now. Don't want to do that. That's a bad thing to do. 
Um, and given that the CDC was willing to, to make us shut down funerals, churches, um, that they masked us up on planes, they would arrest you if you didn't mask up on planes. CDC was in favor of all this stuff. CDC masked up children in school eight hours a day. Uh, those were all behaviors that they, you know, they, they were willing to be very heavy-handed for COVID. And yet on monkeypox, they're having a problem telling people, don't go to an orgy. Um, I, think that's, I think that tells you a lot about the politics of the CDC right now. Our middle school teacher shared a story about how she got trolled when asking a student about pronouns. Watch this one. Okay, TikTok, I really need your help here on this one. I'm a teacher. I teach fifth and sixth grade. And uh, this morning, I don't know, somehow um, the concept of pronouns came up. Um, and one of my students said, well, Miss O'Dell, did you even ask me my pronouns? And I was like, whoa, I hadn't actually asked him his pronouns. And I had called him a him and I... I said, oh, uh, I'm so sorry. I haven't actually called you. I mean, asked you what your pronouns are. And um, what are they? And he said, I'm sorry, banana said, banana and rock. And I was like, dude, no, like don't mess around. Like, I, was, I was actually really upset because I thought he was making fun of it. And in fact, I'm still pretty sure he was making fun of it. And, uh, but they all agreed, no, like you can choose anything, banana, rock, if you want banana and rock to be a pronoun, banana and rock's a pronoun. Is it? TikTok, tell me. Banana and rock is pronouns. Some of the kids get it, apparently. They understand this game. They know what's going on. Today, WNBA star Brittany Griner was sentenced to nine years in prison by a Russian court. Now, she had 0.7 grams of cannabis oil in a vape pen, and the Russian court charged her with essentially drug trafficking, as in intent to sell level of drug. That is unjust. I know a lot of people say you do the time, you do the crime, but having a, uh, a marijuana cigarette is different from having an entire truckload full of fentanyl, right? We can all understand that there are differences in these things. And uh, she's obviously right now a pawn in a Russian game of power politics with the U.S., given all the actions we have taken against Russia in recent months because of the Ukraine war. Look, what she did was unwise. Uh, it seems that it was an accident, or at least she says it was an accident. She did have the drugs. You're not supposed to have them. Uh, she shouldn't be sentenced to nine years. That seems crazy and hopefully we'll get her out of there and there'll be a trade for her along with paul whalen who also should not be in prison a former marine and united states citizen held on bullcrap espionage charges that's it for today's hold the line got the no spin zone up next shields high Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. 
because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I wanna confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 